0: Good morning, welcome to this third message in our series from the book of Daniel, welcome to those of you joining us online this morning. Also, what we're going to see this morning in our reading from Daniel in a few moments is that uh, Daniel is a recipient of uh, some divine interaction from God. It's just a, it's an, amazing, it's an amazing story and um, what prompted this divine interaction though is uh, an insane request from a crazy man. <laughs> And so frequently in our lives, um, God moves when things seem to go kind of crazy. And and we see this be the case with uh, Daniel. And as I was reading the scripture and preparing for the message this morning, I was reminded of... um, reading the scripture from Daniel, preparing for the message this morning, I was reminded of a section of Isaiah um, that just I, I really like, and I thought it would set a good kind of ambiance, kind of a good uh, you know, fore, foretaste of what we're going to get to in Daniel. In Isaiah 55, the Lord makes this offer. He says, for all of you who are thirsty, come to me and drink come if you don't have any resources come and drink come drink from the springs that i give to you uh, freely and then i love what he says in isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 i'm just going to read this right from the scripture it says this for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts So our introductory thought for the message today is simply this. God operates on a different level than the ways of humankind. We just have to remember that. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're giving your life to Christ, you have got to be convictional that God doesn't operate the way people operate. He operates on a different level, and His ways are higher than our ways. A.W. Tozer said this, God's looking for people through whom He can do the impossible, what a pity that we plan only the things that we can do ourselves. I read that quote from Tozer and I'm convicted. Frequently we try to manage life where God is saying, don't manage your life, I manage your life. Will you let your life go to find life in me? I, uh, I enjoy the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies. Anybody enjoy those? This seems like there's a really a different feeling on those movies. Some say it's super boring because it moves so slow. I kind of like to take naps intermittently while I watch movies, so it actually works out well for me, because I can nap and not miss that much in some of these movies. But I really like the Hobbit movie. I've read the books, and I had to read the books even as a young person in school. And so it was interesting for me to go back then and see the movies that were made uh, from the books. And you got this Bilbo Baggins, and he's an unlikely Hobbit, a hero in Tolkien's book, The Hobbit. He's very timid, like most Hobbits are. He's never left the shire, and all these dwarfs show up, and he's supposed to go on this trip with them, and uh, he doesn't want to do it. And it's interesting to watch as he leaves the shire. He says, "I'm going on an adventure. I'm going on an adventure." Do you remember that? If you watched, I'm going on an adventure, and, and I think a lot of us are more like billboard than we want to admit, We find safety and security in known circumstances and we find comfort very readily and very quickly. And God often asks us to step out of your comfort zone and follow hard after me. And I, I have to mutter to myself. I'm a mutterer. Any of you mutterers? My, that's my language of talking. Dave said uh, texting. is some, Mine is muttering under my breath. Now no, I don't mean that's bad. Sometimes I'll mutter under my breath Jesus I love you. I'll just say it. What? What? Oh, nothing. I'm just, I'm just muttering. You know what I mean? And and so uh, I I see this this billboard <laughs> muttering, "I'm going on an adventure. I'm going on an adventure." And I want to, I want to encourage you. If you if you're devoted to Jesus Christ, He has an adventure for you to go on. And oftentimes it just means taking a few steps out of your comfort zone. And then God just kind of takes over. And you experience this divine intervention of God in your life. And we're going to see this happen to Daniel today. So let's, let's read his story, what's going on here in the book of Daniel. I'm going to read from chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Listen to this. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. That's kind of buttering him up, right? I mean, really, he's not going to live forever. But at any rate, tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I think his voice went up a little bit there. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, and I would add in there, almost undaunted, they replied. They replied. Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that what I have, uh, that that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me the astrologer answered answer the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer, uh, astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans, or among humans, which we know. Jesus came and lived among us, right? We'll get back to this. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and, the men, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariach then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you. God of my ancestors, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Well, here's our big thought today from what I just read. And I I really feel this is important. You must recognize and embrace. And when I use that word embrace, I mean you've got to be entwined by it. You've got to be wrapped up in it. You've got to be enveloped by it. That God delivers by his wisdom and power. It has to become part of the DNA of the believer of Jesus Christ. At some point, you have to become convinced in your heart of hearts, in the recesses of your soul, that God Almighty, he delivers by his power and his wisdom. It has to be something that drives you. It has to be something that's foundational to your walk in God. See, God moved on behalf of Daniel in, in, in what the leading Babylonian advisors considered unrealistic acts by the king. God, God moved in what they consider to be a ridiculous ask. That's when God tends to move, when things become something that humans cannot accomplish on their own. I've been reading a book, well, I've read this book by Michael Sayers called The Non-Anxious Presence. A lot of people seem to be full of anxiety right now. Would you agree with me? So I've been reading some some stuff on this, and I read this book, a Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers, and he, he talked about the story of David and Goliath here that kind of compares to the story of Daniel here in a lot of ways um, he, he was sharing that when Goliath faced off against uh, the, the Israelite army they reached an impasse the Israelites did they were devoid of strategy I didn't know what to do they, they did not have the strength to, to face off such an adversary. They were hemmed in and they were limited um, by their military thinking in the way they had always done things. They were hemmed in, so to speak, by the ways of this world. Very much the same thing is seen here in Daniel. Um, he, he goes to his astrologers and to his enchanters and he says, I have, have a dream, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me the dream and interpret. And they were, they were, they were being limited by these, these wise men in Babylon. At least the king was, I think, beginning to realize that these guys were a bit fraudulent. Um, so you tell us a dream, king, and we'll interpret it, they say. In the case of Goliath, Daniel comes on the scene. He's a shepherd. He has a different way of looking at things. He, he says, "Who sits this insulting the king of Israel? I'll go against him. And just like I defeated the bear and the lion, God will give this Philistine into my hand. But we, and we go, yes, right? Because we think, wow, how cool is this? But you know what? David was a shepherd boy in a culture that did not value shepherding. And so his declaration of faith here, it just kind of was like water off a duck's back with this leadership in the the Israelite army. They didn't think a thing of this guy. Well, who is this guy? He's going to be, I don't think so. I mean, I I know that's what they're thinking because Saul tried to give David his armor. And David, of course, didn't fit into his armor. But get this, God cannot win a battle in your life with somebody else's equipping He's going to equip you for what he calls you to battle. And he's going to anoint you and fill you with his wisdom and his power for the things that you have to face in your life. But he doesn't do that through somebody else's equipping. He does that through you and when he wants to give you. Amen? And we see that very thing happen here um, with... David and Goliath. And so now I'm going to just really quote from Mark Sayer's book A Non-Anxious Presence, okay? It, it says this. Um, David heads to the stream of quiet waters. He's probably been there many times as a shepherd boy. He's probably found refuge there and solitude there and probably commune with God there. He goes to the stream and he picks out what? Five smooth stones. Doesn't make any sense. Puts them in this little slingshot pouch. And he's going to face off this giant of a man. And, and I heard that Dave Hopewell did this teaching in youth, and they showed a picture of Goliath on the screen. His relative size—he's nine foot six inches tall—and they showed him on the screen. And Dave said, "And you get a kind of a different understanding of the insurmountable odds that this little shepherd boy, this youth, was facing here." And David confronts Goliath, and he defeats him, not with military might, not through you know the the common resources. But in an unorthodox way, he had an innovative approach rooted in his trust of God. David proclaims, it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give all of you into our hands. And he defeats Goliath in an unorthodox way. And then, then, then Sayer goes on here in the book of non, non-anxious presence to quote this professor of management, Richard Rumolt. And uh, he, he louds David's strategy, uh, noting that the defeated Goliath teaches us that our preoccupied ideas of strength and weaknesses probably are unsound. Rumalt notes that what David possessed was a decisive asymmetry. In other words, David uncovered a power imbalance that no one else saw. Rumalt notes that a decisive asymmetry rests on how someone can see what others have not seen or what they have ignored and thereby discover a pivotal objective that creates an advantage. So David was this person of marginal position. He was a shepherd. He was in the margin of his culture. He didn't have any influence. Um, he, he, he was distant from the center of power. He was viewed as viewed by the army and Saul and, and Saul's commanders. And because of that kind of distance, he approached the problem entirely differently. He said, "I I I've I faced off these kind of big enemies in my life. You're no different." I can do this and my God. And he approaches it entirely differently, and God anoints him, and he's victor. Daniel, like David, operated on a different level of understanding. Daniel models for us how to be a holy follower of God in the midst of the most adverse circumstances. So with all this perspective, we're going to dive into the story here now of Daniel a little bit more completely. And I, I, I looked at this message and it just seemed like there's just three words that really encapsulate the essence of what we read today in the book of Daniel chapter 2 that I just want you to remember. We can remember these three words because I think once we get done with the message, you'll see what I'm getting at. But this is really, really an a, a insightful way of looking at what just transpired here in Daniel chapter 2. The first word is distress. Distress. Have you ever been under distress? Has this picture ever been you? Where you're just into a situation and the word that would describe you is a word of distress? Anybody relate to this? I think this was the state of Nebuchadnezzar. He was distressed by this dream. It troubled him. And when you're distressed, it just means that you're in a state of desperate need and you can't see a way out. And So Nebuchadnezzar has this troubling dream that distresses him and he's losing sleep over it. And I, I, I'm reading this story and I'm thinking, here is the most powerful person in the world at that time. He's got everything at his disposal. He's a king over the, this huge nation, um, and he's powerful. And, and, but it, it reminds me, that no matter how powerful you are, no matter what your position is, no matter how many possessions that you have, you can be a king, you can be whatever, that doesn't mean you're going to sleep at night. It doesn't mean that it'll bring peace to your heart. You may have the largest asset available. You might be one that's really well off. You may have a secure job, all that kind of stuff. Still doesn't mean you can sleep. Still doesn't mean that you're going to have peace because only Christ brings that into the heart of a person. We, like in the times of, of Daniel, we live in times of great distress. The king's distress. Is our culture distressed right now? Oh my goodness, is there despair? Is there hopelessness? Is there cynicism? Is that what's going on? Is that the culture that we live in right now? Yes, drastically so. And The Bible tells us when we get down to verse 29, and we didn't read that, that the king had gone to sleep that night, and his mind turned to the things of the future. And then he has his dream. And he is so troubled and so distressed uh, about it. It just says to me that those in the world can be distressed when they look to the future. we got to understand what we're dealing with here. Daniel was dealing with a distressed culture, a distressed king. And soon we're going to see that all his wise men are distressed also, right? And he lives in the midst of this. And so how would you feel, friends, If you are facing what we're going through right now, in our times, in our world right now, if you did not know Jesus, how would you do? Would you sleep at night? Would you be full of distress and despair and uncertainty and hopelessness as you're hoping in human institutions that can't seem to not fight with one another? Right? Our government's just at war with itself. It's all politics anymore. They're, they're, we, we can't put hope in places that we should not put hope into. It's a world of great distress that we live in. I've been reading another book. I'm almost done with it. John Eldridge's book, Resil- Resilient. This is really good. This is a good book. You should read it. It basically ends by saying, trust God and trust Jesus. So I gave you the end to it. Um, anyway, you may not want to read it now. But this book, this book, Resilience. I've been reading this going, oh my goodness, he has prayers at the end of a chapter are so relevant and moving. And he, he's talking about this idea that before the pandemic hit, we were a culture consumed by comfort. And he's right. Elwood's El, El, right. Everybody's trying to live the most comfortable, luxurious life we possibly can without any hiccups. Listen, friends, that's never been the case for the human condition. Just look back over our... Our own history, our short history as a country. A couple world wars, a Korean War, a Vietnam War, a Great Depression, about eight recessions. You know, all these, the Spanish flu, all these things that just were devastating, right? And people going through it. So we, hit, we had this comfort mentality kind of been drilled into us. And then we hit the pandemic, right? And what happens? It's not very comfortable, no matter what side of the equation you fall on, it's not very comfortable. And I, I, I agree with with John Elrich. He said he's seen two outcomes come out of that. I, I think I've seen these two outcomes too. People are really, really upset and angry, and want to just grab everything in life right now because you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. So during this 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 this, this last couple of years, we had the great resignation, right? All these people quit their jobs. There's a chronic unemployment going on. Are you, are you seeing that? We do, I mean, a chronic unemployment problem. I should say not un, unemployment. There's not enough workers. Why? They all resigned. They said what I had. And I'm going get, to get what I can while I can. And there's been this great, and there's been a great spiritual resign. Resignation, I should say, too. People are leaving the church like crazy because God didn't do what they think he should do. It's hard to follow him in this. Midst. And if you read about it, you go, oh, this is. And so, so I'm going to put this into driving terminology now, okay? These people drive with road rage. Like crazy. You know, I see it in Brookings every now and then. You know, why are you in such a hurry that you feel like following three feet behind me will get you there any faster? It's 10 minutes to everything. (laughs) Let's have perspective here, right? We live in Brookings, South Dakota. You're not in that much of a hurry. Seriously. And I see some of this. So I'm driving home yesterday. Um, I was over here going to uh, graduation party. And so I'm on my little dirt bike and Vicky's on the back of it. And um, so it, it's fun, right? That's what you do at my age. You ride right around on the dirt bike in town. So I get to the stop sign down there by, uh, by the high school or, you know, the stoplight. And, you know, I'm kind of not paying much attention as I can. I have the bike in neutral and then the light turns. So it took me literally two seconds to shift in the first and to start going. And in the meantime, the guy across me starting to try to go in front of me. And I go, no, 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 no. You never turn in front of a motorcycle, right? Amen? What is your hurry? We're breaking South Dakota. Literally, it's going to cost you five seconds to wait at that stoplight. Right? And that's one reaction. And he says that there's this, 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 this hyperness, this, this, like, I can't, you know, deal with it. So I just want all this stuff to happen now in my life. really fast. Then on the other hand, you have the anxious folks. They're really nervous. Everything's trauma. They're trying to hole up in the house and wait her all out. Well, if you're going to hole up in your house and wait everything out, you're going to die there. And you got this really cautiousness and this anxiousness and this fear going on. And you see those guys driving eight miles an hour in Brookings, South Dakota, for some reason. The other day, I pull up behind a person. They're just parked at the stoplight or stop sign. They're just parked there. I'm going, What are you doing? You've been there for the last quarter mile, and you're just. I pull up, Do I honk? Because I'm Midwestern nice. Like, Are you asleep? Are you having a stroke? What's going on? And then they start. And I'm going, Come on! And now I'm. On the other extreme, it's like, you're going five miles an hour. We'll be fine. Go the speed limit. It's 30. Take a risk. <laughs> you know? And so it seems like you have these two extremes. Have you noticed this? It's gotten crazy. And that's kind of a post-trauma reaction. And he's talking about that in this book, Resilient. And how do we become resilient people and, the, and not have one of these two extreme reactions to facing trauma? It's really a good book. And I would encourage you to, if you want to read, I mean, I I basically started this like four days ago, and I'm almost done. It'll read fast. But I like to read. Uh, There's another book that has nothing to do with the message. I'm just going to tell you about the book. I've read this book by John Mark Cromer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I really read it fast, because I was in a hurry. (laughs) It's a good book. Why are we in a hurry all the time? Where where does that come from? And I've been thinking about that a lot. So if you, anyway, it has nothing to do with anything other than I thought, I'll just talk about books today a little bit and message and see, maybe you can read one of those and they'll help you. So Daniel, we read last week, basically he's a leader in his class of of being trained. And and he comes under this uh, examination of the king and he's told that, you know, we're told that he's one of the best in his graduating class, so to speak. Um, but they're not invited to the to the to the conference here about uh, about the king's dream. Probably because he's a junior, <laughs> he's he's a young person still. He he he's just entering into this you know this uh, classification as wise men. So he doesn't even get invited to the table. And the king has a crazy request, or is it? At first, it seems like a crazy request. Tell me the dream, then I know you can interpret it. But is that a crazy request? Because that's what these enchanters and astrologers and divin- divinators were saying they could do. They could tell the king what the dream meant. Well, how can you interpret it if you if you can't know what it is on your own? It's kind of brilliant in a really strange kingly way, right? The king refused to tell him his dream. His logic was, as if these wise men were really who they claimed to be, they could tell him his dream before interpreting it, and in a kind of a weird kind of way. I go, ah, oh, that makes sense. Remember, the ways of God are not the ways of, of, of humanity. And God's going to give Daniel the, interpre- uh, the dream and the interpretation because our God doesn't operate on a human level. He operates on a divine level. So we see the first word that describes the situation here, Daniel, is distress. And we ought to be able to relate to that. That's all I'm saying. We live in times that are very distressful right now, are, are, dist- are distressing, okay? Anyway, let's go to the second word. Now our second word is disgrace. The second word is disgrace. You ever been the recipient of some Disgrace. We have a picture here, I think that will pop up. That's, yeah, that's pretty good, right? You ever been a recipient and been disgraced on something? Um, and the king made this request of the wise men. They couldn't do it. they have been disgraced. they have been shown to be fraudulent. And the king says, I have firmly decided if you do not tell me the dream and then interpret it, I'm going to cut you to pieces. And I'm going to turn your houses into a pile of rubble. Um, The king, he wants the real deal here. He's not playing games. They probably went to the king when they're called thinking, all right, here's our opportunity. We can be honored. We can interpret the dream. We can show ourselves to be smart people. We're after all the wise men of Babylon. And they probably went into him with this bloated, elevated feeling of themselves. And then they come with this pomp and, this, and, and that kind of presence into the king. And he says, I have had a dream. And they say, well, tell us the dream. He goes, nope. You tell me the dream. <laughs> what? What? Nobody asks that of enchanters or astrologers. Nobody does that in their right mind. They're basically saying, basically they're saying, you're crazy. They're saying this to the king that can kill them and turn their houses into a pile of rubble. Not really smart, is it? And they're disgraced. They're shown to be inadequate. Here's a little footnote for you Bible scholars. Another little tangent here. Kind of like my book here on The Unhurried Life. It's interesting that the book of Daniel's written in two different languages. The Bible is basically written in Hebrew, Old Testament, and Greek, New Testament. But parts of the Old Testament are written in Aramaic. And then it's interesting because Daniel chapters 1 all the way to chapter 2 verse 4 is written in Hebrew originally. It's kind of directed to the Hebrew people. But starting here with basically what we read today, it's written in Aramaic all the way through chapter 7. It's directed to the Babylonian people. And then when you get to chapter 8, once again, it's written in Hebrew. And that's where there's all kinds of prophecies about end times and all that. It's kind of written to, to that group. So it's interesting that God is, is almost like directing this, these words, these words here in Daniel to the people in that culture. Isn't that interesting? That's our God. He's full of power and he's full of wisdom. Even the language has a little bit of implication here. And I just thought, it's an interesting side, sidebar. Um, most scholars look at it as, and explain it just the way I, I did. There's some, if you want to get some strange interpretations, you can find those too, but I'm not going to share those. So the king is requiring that not only do they interpret the dream, but they have to tell him the dream. And obviously the wise men are freaking out. They're, they're thinking... This has now become a life and death situation. This is no longer any fun. No longer am I worried about notoriety or honor. I'm worried about surviving till tomorrow. And so the whole thing changes. Have you ever been in a conversation? I've been in some of these conversations with people where you start discussing something. Maybe it's a little controversial. And at first you're friendly and you listen and, you know, and then pretty soon it starts getting a little bit more intense and maybe sharper things are being said. And, and all of a sudden, you can kind of feel the thing spiraling a little out of control. And you feel yourself flushing up and saying, I'm right here. I know I'm right. And how far do I want to go with this conversation? And you keep going. And pretty soon, the voices are raising a little bit. And there's a little bit of energy going on here. And, and then, then if, if you're emotionally intelligent, you're thinking, uh-oh. How do I get out of this thing now? How do I not go where it naturally wants to go. That's what was going on here. This is an amazing story, if you look at it that way. They come there. At first, the, the, the astrologers and enchanters all were thinking, we're going we're to receive our due recognition. And they come in there pretty confident. Tell us a dream. Nope, you tell me it. What? You can kind of see them going, what? No, 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 no. I don't, No, no, no. And the, 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 the king explains why. And they go, but just tell us the dream. Now I know you're you're playing with me. The king says you you're not you're not really gonna you don't know do you? No king has ever asked for this. You see where it's gone really fast. You're crazy. Basically, is what they're saying to the king, and and it's like oh boy, this is a bad day for everybody. They've been disgraced. Two words so far that we see here that describe the situation: distress and what? Disgrace. And I can't believe they had the courage to basically tell the king, you're crazy, but get this point. God's going to reveal that the ways of this world are inadequate. And he's doing that right here. He's revealing here that the ways of this world are inadequate. And they are actually foolish and contrary to the wisdom of God. That's what he's revealing here in the story of Daniel. Do you remember the big storyline of Daniel? This God's going to show himself to be the only true God. He's going to show the ways of the world to be foolishness and contrary to his wisdom. And they go on to say, no king would ever ask such a request. Even the wise men, these magicians, these astrologers recognize, you know what? You have to be in touch with a god here to get the answer to what you're asking, king. God doesn't hang out here with us. Gods don't do this. They're not living down here with us. And and all of a sudden, they're getting theological here a little bit. And I'm thinking, go there, guys. That's where God wants you to go, because you're right. Your false gods don't hang down here with you. But there is a one true God that does, amen? Amen. And that's what's going to be revealed here. And and I, I couldn't help but think of John chapter 1 as I'm reading this, because they're saying there's no God that does this. Yes, there is a God that does this. John chapter 1 begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was the God, and the God was the Word, right? And this Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among His people. He pitched His tent. Among us. He's God incarnate, God dwelling among us. And contrary to what these wise men of Babylon were saying, yes, there is a God that will do this. Yes, there is a God that will visit humanity. And this same God is interacting with Daniel. And he came to us full of grace and truth. And Daniel is in relationship with that God. He's going to make himself known at that time. If you notice that in verse 12, uh, uh, what I read that, it says that the king became angry and furious. Contrast that with Daniel. When Daniel finds out that he's going to execute everybody, Daniel approaches the official with what? Tact and wisdom. Because he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's of a different nature and a different mindset. And he comes back against his anger and this fury with tact and wisdom. See he's demonstrating for us what it means to be a holy person in the midst of a broken world. You're dependent on the Lord Jesus and you're going to just have a different demeanor. And as I mentioned Daniel and friends were called into the conversation with the king they were junior or young Wise men, they weren't yet qualified, I guess, to be in on the original conversation. They were new on the block. And, and so, so the two, sto- two words that describe the story so far are what? Distress and disgrace. But now we get to a word that's just powerful. And it's, it's what Daniel experiences. Um, um, Daniel, we'll get to this in a moment, but... Um, Daniel says, give me some time, and my God will give me the dream, and he'll give me the interpretation. And what we see here is that God discloses himself to Daniel. So the third word is disclose. God makes himself known to Daniel. And I'm going to talk on this a little bit because people are always curious about this. But, but God discloses uh, to Daniel a statue. That, that Nebuchadnezzar had see, seen a statue in his dreams that looked something like this. And we're not going to read about it right now, today, because we don't have time. But if you go on in, in Daniel chapter 2, in verses 29 through 45, uh, this is described. So Daniel sees what the king saw. He's the statue and the statue was made up of several different uh materials and god gave him the interpretation of what that that symbolized so the head of the statue was made of gold that represented the kingdom of babylon Nebuchadnezzar and gang. He was the head of gold. And then after him would come another kingdom, the the, the Medes and the Persians. They were represented by the silver arms and the silver chest. All right, They would follow after. They wouldn't be as pure and as mighty as the Babylonian kingdom, but they'd be pretty strong. Then after them would come another, a third kingdom, and that was represented by the the thighs and the waist uh, being bronze or or, or brass, depending on what version of the Bible you read. That would be the the kingdom of of Greece. That would come third, then after them would come another kingdom, a fourth kingdom. the kingdom would be represented by the iron legs, that would be the Roman kingdom. They were strong, and they just smashed everybody that was in their way. This is basically how most scholars interpret this, okay so just went and then the feet were of, of, of clay and iron, representing that there would be many kingdoms following that that would be weaker and, 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 and you know, and uh, more vulnerable well then. Daniel sees this, this, and this is also what Nebuchadnezzar saw in this stream. A big stone comes and smashes the feet, and everything demolishes. All the kingdoms of the world are demolished, so to speak, okay? And then that stone grows into this great mountain, and just it, it takes the whole view, and, and God reveals it. In That's my kingdom. It will be everlasting. It will never end. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When did Jesus come? At the end of the Roman Empire, Right. When it was weak and frail, and many kingdoms were there, and smashes, and, and, and that kingdom will prevail forever and ever, and all the kingdoms of mankind will be smashed will be no more. That's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and it's an amazing dream, and it's amazing that Daniel got the dream and, and the interpretation. So, so I thought, I'm just going to cover this because people are so interested in this, so we might as well just cover this, okay? And so, what I want to focus in on today as we finish up is that um, the, the contrast of of, of Daniel's demeanor to that of those around him. The king is furious and angry. There's distress, there's disgrace. But then Daniel comes on the scene. He's not privy to the conversation that's been happening so far. He doesn't even know what's going on. And all he knows is I'm getting arrested that this Ariok guy has come out and he's going to put us all to death. And so he, he asks, you know, I can kind of say, uh, can I ask a question here? You know, what's going on? Why, why this harsh treatment by us. What's going on? I, I, don't, I haven't been privy to the conversation. He doesn't know. And, 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 he, and he's filled in. And his demeanor is in such stark contrast uh, to the king. Daniel had his wits about him. He's just an amazing example of holy living in a fractured world. Um, and you've got to understand, I don't know, how, how would you react if you were being arrested and taken to death row? Like, immediately. i I'm probably be freaking out a little bit because a lot less than that causes me to freak out how about you and, and lose my cool and have to kind of get it under control uh, and Daniel goes to the king and he says would you just give me some time he doesn't say tell me the dream you notice the difference of the request give me some time let me see what my God can do his request is one of I don't need to know the dream just give me some time and we'll see what God does here it's a different ask entirely, and the king grants him that time. And this took a lot of boldness and courage by Daniel, but honestly, he didn't have a lot of choices, did he? And frequently we'll find ourselves in culture. I just want to tell you this. You've got to understand this. Frequently we'll find ourselves in culture really don't have a choice but to stand for Jesus. And we ought to stand boldly with courage and trust that God will be our deliverer and he'll be our stronghold in times of trouble. At any rate... Daniel then goes home and he does something that's just phenomenally different. He goes to his buddies and he says, we got to go to God. we are got to plead for mercy. we got to pray. We've got to seek his face. And instead of running around getting all upset, instead of running around saying to, the, to maybe some of the older, uh, you know, wise men of Babylon, do you have a book I can read really quick to figure out how to do this? You know, he says to his friends, let's go to God and let's plead for mercy here. And, and, and you know what? Daniel looked to God in faith, believing that God would disclose to him the dream and the meaning of that dream, and God did that very thing. And Daniel and his friends sought God. Then in prayer, I know prayer doesn't sound, it is the answer. We always want something like, I don't know why there's this aversion sometimes to prayer. I'm just kind of speaking my mind here. Frequently I'll be struggling with something in my life and I'll think, I've never prayed about this. How about you? And I think, why don't I pray? Because the enemy knows that that connection to God is powerful and strong. And if we truly seek his face, he'll act, he'll do things. But frequently we just don't seek his face. Daniel said to his friends, we've got to seek the Lord's face here. We've got to plead for his mercy. We've got to go to him in prayer. And prayer, I think, has two, two big elements, your view of God and your view of the problem. That they, they, have got to be done biblically. You've got to have this view of God that he's great and that he's divine, that he's sovereign, that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. You've got to have that kind of understanding that God's all-wise and all-powerful and that he's all-loving, that he's in control, uh, that, that the effect of fever and prayer of a righteous man will avail much. You've got to have those basic convictional understanding when you go to God and you've got to go to God and say I, I don't have faith here. Give me faith like you said you promised. You give me faith I, I'm going to be honest and transparent before you. I, I can't figure this out. Give me the faith to figure this out. Amen, right? And go there with this transparency and this honesty and throw yourself on the mercy seat of God. That's what we've got to do. And then God answered Mightily. And then the problem becomes one of perspective. The problem probably will find its place. And it may not be the solution that you desire, but God will grace you to hear his voice and to deal with what you have to deal with here. Can you be calm and collected because you know God's all powerful and all controlling? Nothing surprises him. Can you have the demeanor of Daniel. When Daniel received the answer to his prayer, you know what he did? He had a worship moment. I love I that response. I mean, he adored God. He ascribed to him praise. He thanked him. And he declared his attributes of wisdom and power. You know, Daniel had this in a vision. He was given this in a vision. Important nuance here to this declaration. Daniel was not sleeping that night and God the revelation to Nebuchadnezzar's dream in a dream. He had a vision. You have visions when you're awake. So he was evidently seeking God throughout the night with his buddies. And God gave him a vision of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And I think he wouldn't, he go to bed and say, okay, God, I hope this works out in the morning. He sought God's face with urgency and, and, and God answered that prayer and, and uh, the big picture behind all this is that God is revealing who he is that he's the one true God so our conclusion today is simply this praise God for his wisdom and power always have that ready praise uh, on your lips he knows all things he knows seasons and he has all power he disposes a king he raises a, up a king and by his, by his power changes times and seasons and for you and I Christ. Is, the, is God's wisdom and power that we can experience today. See, we have full disclosure. Daniel knew in part what we know in full. And look at how God powerfully moved in this life. But we live on this side of Christ. And in Colossians, we're told, in Jesus dwells all fullness of the Godhead bodily, in whom, all, uh, um, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So wisdom and knowledge are found in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and the power is experienced through the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. We live on this side uh, of, of the resurrection and we have all this disclosure that Daniel didn't have. So like God moved in Daniel's day, he can move in our day too. The question becomes, will we seek him? Will we trust him? Will we ask him to show up his mercy? So whatever you're facing, go to God in prayer. And if you lack faith, say I lack faith. If you don't understand, say you don't understand. I shared this, but this is just a, a strange thing, but I'll share it two minutes more. Then, then we'll let these guys sing. It's a great song. I can hardly wait to sing this song. It's a great song. Anyway, um, I bought this little dirt bike and I couldn't get the title from Nebraska. Nothing against Nebraskans, but, you know, they say Nebraska's not for everybody. I believe that now. So, um, that's their own state motto, so I'm just quoting them. So I go down there and bike this motorcycle. For some reason, they can't get me the title, right? Which is problematic if you want to be legal. And this thing, I want to drive it down the road some. So I'm calling this girl four or five times and got to know her name and her family life. No, I'm just joking. But anyway, the, uh, you know, and we're talking about this. And, and she said, I don't understand why you don't have that. I mailed that on March 4th. Well, it's now April 4th, and I don't have it. And it's due like tomorrow, you know what I mean? you got the time limit to get that stuff done. And so I get a temporary thing down here at the license thing for two more weeks or whatever. So I'm calling her up again the next day. I said, any news on where the title? And she she told me she was going to go get a new one. And I, I was beginning to lose some trust at this point. You know how that goes, right? And she said, well, a miracle just happened. I said, what? Well, I mailed your letter, but I found it in the trim of my car yesterday. I said, what? And, and Vicki and I were talking about, what is going on here? You know, this is strange. She said, no, it's stuck in the side of my car. I'm going, what do you mean stuck in the side of your car? You didn't mail it or what? No, she, she, I didn't know what she was talking about. So I get this letter. She said, I threw it back in the mail. I said, you what? Threw it back in the mail. Well, will they deliver that now? You know what I mean? That's what I'm thinking. Like, so I get this. It looks like it's been too hell in back. I don't know how else to describe it. This thing is just mutilated letter, all water damaged, like it was on the outside of a car for a while. And it's postmarked, March 4th. Like, how did that happen? She said it got stuck in her car. She said, I just found it. There. Well, you know what? That night I prayed. God, would you just, I'm tired of dealing with this title. I know it's a small thing. Just, would you I'm going to get it in your hands. So then the answer comes the next day, and I'm going, I can't believe it. And I still don't know what happened. But I'm thinking, I think God intervenes somehow here. You know what I'm saying? And I think he intervenes a lot more than we realize. And I mean, I know that's a strange story, and I still, I still don't know what happened. But how could the how, She thinks the mailman dropped it. It blew in and stuck in the side of her car molding. But it has the postmark it. I go, how did it get? What? Whatever. You follow what I'm saying? I still don't know, but God answers prayer. Amen? Amen. So that's what I wanted to leave you with. And let's pray and sing and have our local church conference meeting. Lord God, I want to thank you for today. I'm excited about the song we're about to sing. Would you prepare our hearts just to worship you like Daniel worshiped you? You're the God that answers prayer. And I pray today that as we sing this next song that we would remember all the prayers you've answered, our faith would be built, that we, like Daniel, would understand that we're One's called to live a holy life in the midst of a fractured, fractured, distressed world. And we can only do that by your filling, Jesus. Come fill us, Holy Spirit, that he who lives in us is greater than he who lives in the world. We just experience reality of that, I pray. In your name, Jesus, amen.